Thank you for joining us. I'm Paul Wilson. And I'm Chris Hemke. And this is Diesel Performance Podcast. Chris, we got an awesome we episode. We have a really good episode. Yep, yep, yep. Um, guys, no, no secret here. We got Lenny Reed on. We're going to ask him tons of questions about all sorts of different topics. You know, we we threw a lot. We threw a lot at him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he handled it great. So I know you're really going to enjoy that portion. I believe we'll also be hearing from our super tech Jeremy yep. down in the shop. He'll be uh, going through something aw- something really fun and educational down there as well. But before we get into the show, we want to thank our sponsors. Of course. Right. So, so Calibrated Power, Home of Duramax Tuner, where Chris and I both work. Yep, yep. Uh, Thank you for the paychecks. If you're, if you're looking for emissions equipped performance, if you're looking for drop-in turbochargers, if you're looking for built Allison transmissions, mm-hmm. or pretty much anything else for your diesel some, performance needs. Some guidance in your build. That's, you know, we're here to help. That's it, man. Those, those are things we can help with. You can visit DuramaxTuner.com or give us a call at 815-568-7920 anytime. Next, WC Fab, Worley Custom Fabrication, your one-stop shop for anything diesel. They support Ford, they support your Duramax, they support the Cummins, they do some awesome powder coating, intercooler piping, pretty much whatever you need for your truck to spice it up, they're able to offer something for uh, for that application. Absolutely correct. Extra Performance will be hanging out at their booth for a little while, along with Jason and XDP as well, uh, yeah. out at UCC. Extra Performance provides us with all of our common rail, injector, and fuel system needs. And last but not least, XDP, your one st- literally your one-stop shop, anything diesel, whether it's maintenance, performance, you name it, they have it on their store. You can go to xdp.com and check them out. Without any further ado, we'll dive right into our interview with Lenny Reed from Dynamite Diesel Performance. All right, guys, uh, we are here with Lenny Reed from Dynamite Diesel Performance. Lenny, of course, has been a pillar in the diesel performance community. Chris, you and I were talking. I can't remember a time that we were into diesel performance and Lenny wasn't around. I remember being in the 12-valve and 24-valve world a decade ago, and you could find DDP injectors on a lot of websites. So, you know, it's crazy to to have them on and see uh, the evolution of DDP and what they have to offer. Absolutely. Lenny, how the hell are you? Been good. Been really good, actually. Thanks. No problem. Been busy, but good. That, that's yeah. what we were talking about is a, a lot of stuff going on over at DDP, uh, a lot of action, and especially here we are. I think we're recording this about a week before UCC kicks off. Yeah. The uh, the UCC for us, um, it's definitely, it, it's, it's a different event. Like, everybody's more organized now. The first few years of UCC, like the previous two months, every week, Myself personally, I was spending like 12, 14 hours a day just building everybody's last minute injectors that kept getting hurt, destroyed. Uh, they didn't like them. We were testing a new thing. There was a lot of red label freight back then. And this year, like, I think we've only got, we've got less than four trucks in the event total, I think. And everybody's organized and they have their, their program ready. So it hasn't affected our daily business, not one minute yet this year. That's awesome. <laughs> as he knocks as hard as he can on wood, right? You're like, please, please stay this way. Um, Lenny, we brought you on because we, we wanted to talk a little bit about a couple different topics here. So we've been going through fuel and diesel fuel in a big way over yep. the last two months or so. Uh, we got to talk to a lot of biodiesel guys. And the other piece of that biodiesel we never really heard from was what's the end result on injectors yeah. from somebody who's seen it in the real world. So we'll, we'll get into that topic. We'll talk a little bit about perfect spray patterns, which is something I thought you covered really, really well in a video over on Dynamite Diesel TV. You guys, everybody should go and check that yeah, out. That was really informative. That really was. Um, and then, of course, high-end competition. That's that's what we're talking about right now. 3,000 horsepower, man. You can't get away from it. That's the number. That's, that's the big buzzword that everybody wants to know more about. Yeah. And, of course, also... Um, I think as we look towards the future of diesel performance and knowing where we come from with emissions equipment, we have some few questions that we'll dive into here at the end, uh, going over kind of injectors and modified injectors versus emissions, and what's the relationship there. But I think before we get into the future, it's always good to have a little bit of background. Lenny, how did you get started in diesel and start Dynamite Diesel? What's that background look like for you? Uh, Basically, like uh, back in 2000, my father passed away, and... I've got this envelope still that's it's like an old bank deposit envelope and there's car titles. I mean, like a bunch of them. And uh, I thought, well, I'm going to go find all these cars. And then at the time I had this like Chevy pickup with a 383 stroker motor in it, burnt spark plug wires all the time, got horrible gas mileage, just tons of fun to drive. And every time I hooked up to any sort of a car trailer, it got like 
you would put gas in it. And I thought that it fell out the bottom. It burned so fast. But uh, so then I bought my first Dodge diesel truck. And uh, at that moment, I was working for a PUD, like I was making electricity basically on a daily. Uh, didn't love the job. I actually, I walked into this dam when it was dark and I walked out when it was dark, 12 hour shifts. And I just thought, man, I don't want to work. I don't want to do this till I'm 60 or 65. Uh, so I quit. Started Dynamite Diesel Products, uh, actually Dynamite Diesel Performance, and then was buying parts from some folks down in Las Vegas called Diesel Dynamics. Uh, back in 0203, they were purchased by Edge. Edge is, you know, primarily like electronics, right? So they, they took a swing into mechanical, but the uh, it just fell apart. So then we ended up having to make our own injectors because I wasn't able to buy injectors from those guys anymore. And so I went and bought my first extrude hone and uh, I think we got it January 1st of 2004. Uh, and back then, you know, all you're doing is just shoving putty through nozzles, trying to make them bigger. Didn't really know much about, uh, it's true though. Um, we didn't know much about, you know, K factor. We didn't know much about uh, what you could do to destroy a hole and make it really smoky. Um, you know, we would get to a point where they would, they would only run on nitrous basically. And we were just blowing through them so big that there was no spraying left. So, you know, over the evolution of time, we've learned a lot. Um, I picked up a second extrude hone a few years ago because whenever one would break, we would need to rely on the other one. Um, Common Rail has really pushed us, you know, like the high pressure, super fast on, super fast off, correct timing. Like that's all, that's all made the diesel evolution just a lot more accurate and better nowadays. So with that, we've had to really step up the tool game as well. Um, rate shape is going to be like the next buzzword that everybody starts talking about. And uh, we just got the first rate shape machine <clears throat> in the aftermarket industry. The first one in the United States of America is here. Actually, it's on its way to our shop right now. Uh, they'll be here to show us how to use that. And we've already sent them a bunch of injectors and had them do some rate shape testing for us. Um, I actually drove out and let them see some injectors that uh, that I felt were very special and I didn't want anybody else just to see. So I drove out, handed them to them, we ran them in the machine and they were pretty impressed with them. So we've got that machine on its way to us now. Um, the EDM was huge, that was a big deal. And what I can tell you about an EDM is, is uh, as a base tool, it's, uh, it's good, but the most value that's in my EDM right now, hands down, is going to be just the hours and hours and hours of programming that went into making every one of those like programs perfect. It's the amount of wasted time for the first 12 months was literally 12 months. <laughs> it was horrible. Um, you know, you got two employees working on the thing for, for 40 hours a week. And production time was very limited, but experiments were 40 hours a week. So, you know, you figure 80 hours a week for two dudes, right? And you got the tool that you're paying money on and you got all these parts that you bought and you destroy a ton of them. So really truthfully, that EDM is now a very valuable tool. Like now, uh, like now I can walk in <clears throat> 15 minutes later, I'm, I'm burning my first nozzle and then I can, uh, I can get on like a, I got this like Schwinn spin bike thing that I sit and spin. And then every three and a half to five minutes, depending on the program, I jump off the bike, walk over, change out the nozzle, grab another nozzle, throw it on, then I can spin. So long before anybody ever gets here, like I, my cardio is already good and I'm done and moving on with the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah. But it took hours. It took it, it literally took two years before we were really good at it, I think. What is EDM? Electro discharge machine. Basically, we take a piece of tungsten that starts at about 12 inches long. That tungsten is consumable, kind of like welding rod is. And the tungsten has water dribbled over it at 100 mega ohm resistance. And then the tungsten gets really close to, this, to the piece of steel. The water starts to burn its way through. So it's basically a super accurate, very fast way of rusting its way through a piece of steel. Like that's the best way to explain it. <laughs> Tungsten never actually touches the nozzle ever. If it does, it goes straight to short and then it stops. 
So the water is actually what's doing the burning through the steel. Oh, and yeah, it's a, we can, if, if you have a custom set of pistons made for like, say, 147.5 degree spray angle, we can make that. If you want 148, we can make that. 148 and a half, we can make that. So it's super accurate. And there's all sorts of different axes on it to try and get the rotations correct and things like that. And then like if the uh, 7.3 liter power strokes, the injector is offset to the piston bowl. So it has to go in there kind of at a different angle and we would call that elliptical. So this machine has the ability to do elliptical patterns and then all the old 12 valve Cummins stuff is all elliptical as well. And uh, what's really happened a little bit to my surprise, uh, Cummins, Bosch, and all of the older tractor stuff like hay loaders and things like that, that farmers are still using today. They weren't, they're still not able to buy a bunch of those injectors. So we're getting requests from people to build custom injectors for this weird oddball stuff. And I've got blanks. So if you send me one nozzle, I copy it. I measure all of its spray angles. I measure its flow rate, measure the whole diameter. And, uh, you know, a few hours later, we can have you a set of injectors made for your crazy tractor application. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's so wild. That's not something I really ever thought of, right? No, and I think of like, you know, knowing the roots, right? Everyone's diesel roots start in the mechanical world, right? Like we were saying earlier as sure. we introduced you, you know, back in 2007, 2008, when, you know, I was big with 24, 12 valve stuff, DDP injectors were a viable source, you know, for your first gen or second gen truck. Do you guys still find yourselves doing a lot, you know, as you're getting into the common rail stuff, R&D, do you find yourselves going backwards into those older platforms still? Dude. So we just got 600 blanks for mechanicals and every one of those is sold. And the next 600 will be here in hopefully about eight days. Wow. <laughs> so there's just, there, there's a, that, that demand hasn't died, you know, in any way, shape or form. Man, what, so I used to get really upset when people would like call up and they were like, well, you know, I can buy so-and-so's five by 12s or six by 12s or whatever for $300. And I'm like, Okay. I, I got nothing. Right. There's okay. nothing I can sell you for $300. I'm sorry. But there's so many of those things sold now. I was going to say something really ugly there and then say things. But there, uh, there was so many really shitty parts made that now all those people are driving those trucks with flooded crankcases and they're, you know, they've ruined their motors and they've destroyed the way they drive. And you, you may make power at wide open throttle because at wide open throttle is just fuel quantity being burned, right? But the drivability is miserable. It, it like, it drowns itself until it finally gets up to boost. So you're driving around in a stock truck, doesn't make any smoke, and it's got a ton of throttle response and it comes off stoplight correctly. You put a big set of injectors in and then it doesn't come off stoplight correctly. And it just wants to belch and, you know, roll the coal. Um, they get horrible gas mileage and now the fuel's five fifty a gallon, six bucks a gallon. That's starting to become a bigger concern. And that's where the EDM plus the extrude hone, we have two extrude hones. We've got an a, abrasive flow machine and the EDM. Those tools all hand in hand, uh, being in one building are a massive advantage. So I've got a customer who buys private label stuff from us. He wants to just optimize like the perfect fuel economy injector for old 12 valves. So he's really happy with what he's got. We're going to move down. Um, I want to say, I want to say the wire that we were using for his stuff that he's tested so far, I want to say it was 11,000 tenths. So basically what I was going to do is run down to an 11,000 wire. And uh, so I'm going to move just a little over a half a thousandths down and then we will throw them in the abrasive flow machine and we will add anywhere from eight to about 13% of nozzle flow rate up using the AFM. And then that pretty much gives them like the perfect K factor and the holes correct. That's the way like any OEM would actually want it to be. There's some, some really fun terms in there that I just want to circle right. back for some of our kind of injector newbies here. Um, I mean, for us too, Paul. <laughs> I was going to say myself included. Um, we hit on we hit on a couple of buzzwords there. So, the the piston bowl and the spray angle. Can you kind of walk our guys who are newer to this stuff? How what's the relationship between those two things? So piston bowl, um, it's designed by an OEM, whether it be Cummins or Power Stroke or 
Duramax or whoever, right? And they come out with, say, 155 degrees of spray angle to match where they want the flame front to go into that chamber in the top of the piston bowl. That the, the bowl itself is the available oxygen that you can burn. Because when that piston comes all the way up, there's basically no squish. There's no air above that bowl. So whatever is in that bowl, you're, that's, that's your power opportunity right there. Now, if you bring the angle in too shallow and you're not penetrating into that bowl far enough out, you're leaving oxygen unburnt and on the table that you should have burned. Try and get it too flat and you start to spray above the bowl and you're missing. So spray angle is a big deal. Now, with mechanical stuff, the injection pressure was much lower and the hole diameter of all the spray holes was a lot bigger, right? So you could be off by five degrees and you'd get nothing but a bunch of smoke and heat, but it was a bigger injector and people thought, man, it must make more power. But, you know, I've had a dyno since day number one. And there was oftentimes we were trying these Mac, to, these Mac truck nozzles and they sucked, but I'm calling up the guy that I'm buying them from. And I'm like, dude, these things, other than hot and smoky, these things aren't any good. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Those things are awesome. Everybody loves them. I'm like, anybody have a dyno? Because other than driving this thing down the street and pissing people off, like these aren't good at anything. And, uh, you know, that was, again, that was a, that Mac application was, I want to say it was like a 158 or, yeah, I think it was a 158 degree spray pattern. And the correct spray pattern for that piston back then was 153. So five degrees off, two and a half degrees off per side, puts it outside the bowl and doesn't work. So spray angle is a really big deal. And with, with the evolution of diesel performance, what we've been doing for the last two decades is we find a nozzle out of a different application. We, we know that it's bigger, and then we kind of hybrid it into our, our motor. And if it's off by one and a half, two degrees per side, it'll work. It just won't be optimum. You'll end up with idle haze. You'll end up with kind of a, a little bit lazy mid-range. And for the amount of quantity going into the chamber, it's not efficient. Like you don't make, um, you might pump 300 mm cubed in there, but you're not going to get 1800 horsepower out of it. And really, if everything's perfect with most of these motors today, you should get three horsepower per mm cubed. So that's, it's just very inefficient. And, and efficiency comes into like today, when fuel is a buck 50, you know, buck 80 a gallon, people didn't really care as much. But sure. now that a brand new power stroke or a brand new whatever is $110,000, everybody's fixing their old stuff. And now that they're fixing their old stuff, if we can make stuff better today than they've ever had the opportunity to own, then they're upgrading their truck. Like it didn't cost them 80 grand to upgrade it, but they still upgraded it. And if we can make it more efficient, make it cleaner out the tailpipe, and get them to where they don't have to change their oil near as often as they used to with their big nasty stuff. That's all winning, right? Can, can you kind of walk us through an example of that? Because I thought, I'm pretty sure in, in one of your videos, I caught you talking about some adjustments along these lines for like the 04 and a half to 07 uh, with the sack nozzles on there and kind of what that change looked like and how that, that spray angle and some of the new technology has affected those set of injectors. So 03, 04, uh, 235 and 305 horsepower motors they have 143 degrees of spray angle and the bowl has like a two-step design in it so timing for that is quite a bit different than timing for a little bit later style truck 325 motor and the the later style truck is 124 degree spray angle so that's what they call the big bowl piston versus the closed bowl piston and again, the oxygen content available on the 124, since it's a, a broader diameter bowl, that thing has the potential to make a lot more horsepower. Now, if you're in a limited air class, any sled pull class where it's 2.6 or 2.5 or 3 inch, the bigger the bowl, the more horsepower you're going to make because you want to optimize whatever boost you're shoving in that thing's throat. You've got to get every ounce of oxygen burnt. So... If you were going to build two motors identical with, with just piston changes, 143 to 124, you'd be down 40, 50, 60, 70 horse with everything else in the motor being the exact same. Oh, wow. Now, the reason why the 143 degree style piston or the closed bowl piston is kind of uh, popular still is because if you're going to run like a bunch of nitrous and just unlimited amounts of air, 
then it has a thicker shoulder. There's more meat there and it'll take a beating a lot harder. So you can run 2,500 horsepower with nitrous and those pistons will live a little bit longer and be more durable. Everything's got its application. Now, walk us through the K factor. You've mentioned this a couple of times as you've been explaining some of the injector stuff. What is that in reference to and, and what is that establishing? I will, let me see if I can do this kind of to help you out. So when we're, when we're talking about the, uh, that pretty good guys? Yeah. All right. So if I've got a nozzle, and I EDM through so we've got like a 90 degree edge right here now K factor this would be like K zero there's zero K factor whatsoever but if I move this metal and I start to radius that Can you guys see that very well right there? Enough, yeah. Okay. So basically that radius, what that does is that allows fluid to flow over the top of this and fill this down. If fluid comes over a 90, the first thing it does is it creates kind of a low pressure system right here. Now, as fluid comes this direction, it's gonna to start to fall down. And if this is a 10 thousandths orifice, you're only gonna feed that with, you know, call it seven or eight thousandths of an inch, right? So when you get rid of this low pressure system, you're actually now feeding this 10 thousandths with something around 12 to 14 thou. So the fluid heading this direction is going a lot faster. And when it breaks this face right here, the atomization will be much, much, much better. And the better it's atomized, the more fuel you're gonna burn. So, K factor is really critical. And we've got lots of fancy tools that modify K factor differently. And we've got a surface grinder out there. So when we're shaping that K factor, we'll actually grind the nozzle perfectly so we can expose the entire hole. Reason that's very important is because if you picture like, a, like an irrigation ditch that's been excavated out and it's smooth on the bottom and smooth on the walls, and let's just say you shove like 10,000 cubic feet of water per second down that ditch. That'd be kind of an average irrigation ditch around here. Uh, there's no turbulence unless there's wind on the top. But if you go like whitewater rafting, the same 10,000 cubic feet of water per second boiling over five foot tall rocks and what have you, all that disturbance and all that impedance. If you're trying to get that fluid to flow, you want the surface finish of whatever it's touching to be as smooth as possible. So abrasive flow machine, two extrude hones, different medias, different pressures, different times under tension, that shapes a different K factor. And it's critical for us because we're using wire from the smallest piece of wire that I own is two thousandths and seven tenths. So approximately half a thou smaller than like a human hair. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. When you're, when you're shaping the K factor with that, the media has to be basically liquid. It's gotta be water. And it has you know, a, a cutting agent in it, much like sandpaper, and it shapes that K factor perfectly. But if you try and shape a hole that's say 10 thousandths of an inch, totally different media. 40 thousandths of an inch, totally different media. So there's a lot to it. And that's why we have all these different tools here is to try and get the K factor correct for all, excuse me, for all of our stuff. That's wild, man. Yeah. Because I mean, when we talk about injectors with customers, we're usually talking about percent over horsepower potential right. and fitment, right? Yeah. It's balance like, the flow yeah, between yeah. the set. It, right. Is is the 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 very simple outstretch of it of what's going to be the immediate impact to a customer? When you guys are looking at it, there's obviously there's a lot of science, there's a yeah. lot of tools, there's a lot of measurement that goes into it. How does this relate to the end customers? Like. Do guys, I assume guys still call you like they call us and they say, hey, I have an 06 Dodge and I want to make a thousand horsepower. What injector should I buy? 
is that is that about the extent of where like customer questions come in or do you get a lot of guys who are kind of trying to drill into and showing a demand for a, a higher quality running injector as opposed to just a horsepower output we have our standard off the shelf stuff which is like a really a broad recipe that covers everybody in the street style trucks right you may get a guy that lives in a unique location like somewhere super high in like Wyoming or uh, Colorado. And because, you know, it's super hot there in the summer and he's already got thin air quality up there, his truck may smoke a lot more at 600 horsepower than anybody at, you know, 2,000, 3,000 feet of elevation. So if he calls up and says, hey, you know, like my truck smokes a lot, blah, 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 blah. We start asking about the turbochargers, if they've decompressed the motor because compression is key, especially when you get up in elevation like that. Um, and if everything checks out and they've got all the right parts, then we can basically say, well, for you and your need, your new, unique, unique application, uh, sometimes a more but smaller spray hole would be better for a guy like that. So I know what all you're right. thinking. I, 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 yeah, I'm trying to think about that. Can you, can you walk me through that? Basically, like, and we came out with a patent this year that that's actually ours as well. Um, basically, the more holes you have, let's go back to your 0304 piston. That thing came out 143 degrees, and there was eight really small spray holes. And then the 325 motor came out. It was 124 degrees, and they went to five spray holes. Now, when I was really ignorant to this and I didn't know much about it, I assumed that every hole takes 30 to 40 seconds to EDM and they were just trying to save time. And that's why they went from eight down to five. Well, then we tried eight holes in that style of motor and it ran like garbage. Well, then you read enough books and because there's some really good information out there that, you know, Bosch has printed and all these other, you know, OEMs have actually, you know, put studies out there. You just got to dig for them. And basically the diameter of the bowl the, the nozzle starts to spray, and as it sprays fuel out, it ignites at its furthest point traveled, and it burns back to the nozzle tip. So if I've got eight really small spray holes, it's, it's atomizing better than five larger ones. So it ignites earlier, and it doesn't get out to the bowl, so it doesn't use all the oxygen that's available in the bowl. So... Five, six holes works better at upper, like RPM. When you get five, 6,000 RPM, the lesser the spray hole, the better. But if you're driving a truck on the street that puts around, you know, like a bunch of these Eisen trucks and like the later style Duramaxes, they shift really early, right? Yeah. Well, you don't need a, a nozzle that's going to make 4,500 RPM if you can't get it to make 4,500 RPM. So, yeah, there's a lot, like just whole count, whole diameter. Uh, K factor, all of that stuff goes into the perfect recipe and we're constantly testing. So anything say a thousand horsepower above is going to, we've got this custom injector order form on our website and we go through what you've got for turbochargers, camshafts, pump, mechanical, and you know, like air boxes, all of it. And if we see that there's a, a, a glitch in the setup, then we call up and we say, Hey, you know, like you're not, you're just not going to make a thousand horsepower stock turbo. Oh, well, I'm going to get a new turbo. Call me back when you do. Because <laughs> when you melt your stock turbo, you're going to be upset at me. Right. So yeah. I just assume that you do it all at once or not do it all. You know, I, I just don't want you yelling at me. <laughs> now, let's switch gears just a little bit. With you doing the injectors throughout the years, whether it be mechanical or common rail, have you ever gotten injectors brought or sent back to you that have had like biodiesels ran through them, like at home, like I made my own bio and I ran them through the injector? What's been some of that past experience been, whether it, again, be mechanical or common rail? When people, this is back in like, 06, 07, 08, like fuel was pretty expensive back then. And people were doing like a lot of homebrew stuff back then. And uh, we discovered that Viton is a material that holds up pretty well to bio. Mm -hmm. um, a bunch of the 7.3 power strokes back then, because they use, um, they use like 2,750 pounds of oil pressure to drive the intensifier plunger inside the injector. Yep. That's a lot of pressure trying to cross over those O-rings. 
And when you would put bio in the fuel at 50 pounds of fuel pressure, um, basically the bio would just melt those O-rings off. So they updated those O-rings a long time ago and created them with Viton. And the Viton stuff seems to hold up pretty good to that stuff. Um, as far as common rail, I've, I mean, I, there's some spots I, I kind of used to hate putting anything bio in my trucks because I just, I had some really bad experiences when it was like bio 100, like guys were going to like McDonald's and buying fryer oil and, and cooking it up themselves. And we had so many bad experiences. I didn't really want any of it in my trucks, but then later on I was like, well, I better, I better try this day in and day out. So if I go to the Safeway and it says, you know, contains up to B20, um, I've never had any problems with any of that stuff. Same here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Figured we got to plug it in. No, no, yeah. exactly. I mean, I mean, and that matches a lot of what we heard, you, you know, from all of all of the guys that we yeah. talked to around biofuel, except for the oh. suggestion we got to just pour straight veggie oil yeah. into our, our fuel tank, which I still haven't yeah. tried, but I think would make a great video. Well, we'll definitely try your vehicle. <laughs> right. Uh, you're why, right. Why, yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. Um, that's a different topic. But okay. Okay. So that that's interesting. And, and I think that that kind of ties us in with, with as we're talking about some of the insanity of fuel prices right now, um, that has not deterred anybody from chasing huge horsepower numbers. No. As you had mentioned earlier, you got four guys uh, in UCC this year with all with DDP injectors. Um, 3,000 horsepower, that's the number, man. That's what we're all talking that's, about. I mean, it's been... 3,000 horsepower has been a conversation for several years. For years, And then yeah. it kind of fell off over the last couple of years, and here we are in 2022, and there's not one, but there's a couple trucks circulating, and one of those, sure. you've well, had some... some well, yeah, well, we talked to Chris Patterson, who technically has the first 3,000 horsepower for a chassis dyno. Uh, there was some debate about it around on the internet, so we had Chris on the show, yep. and we mm -hmm. talked to him about it. And he gave a lot of his props uh, to the guys who had worked on his injectors. Now, we just saw Derek Rose. We uh, had Derek Rose video, on. And we had Derek Rose yep. on, and then I think like the next week, uh, he went out and he actually, he ran on the dyno with a set of your injectors, I believe, uh, and put up some huge numbers. So it looked like we peaked out at 3,000 there as well. So another chassis dyno, 3,000 horse. We'll see what UCC shapes out when we get these two guys and a whole bunch right. of others that I think are in this race all on the same dyno on the same day. I think this will really kind of quash who's got the most power. But 3,000 horsepower on a truck. I mean, what does that injector look like compared to a stock injector? Physically on the outside, it looks like any other 5.9. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, we uh, we have some seals made for us. That's a much better material than the factory seal. And these seals have been proven to hold up to 240 MPA for the pressure. Oh, wow. And we, we warranty them up to 225. And the reason I do that is because if you run something right at 238, 239 MPA, and the voltage soaks at 240 MPA, so the sensor won't read it higher. But you're a wide open throttle making 239 MPA, chop the gas pedal, and the FCAs don't dump off fast enough, then you don't know what the pressure is going to spike to. Right. And you got no way of measuring it. So we tell people that we'll warrant team up to 225, because at that point, if they send us a data log, and as soon as they get off the gas pedal, it spikes mm -hmm. past 240, I know what happened to your injectors. Like we don't know, it might've made 300 MPA right there. We just don't know. Right. Um, so we've had zero problems at 225, zero problems 230. And there are some very skilled tuners that I trust a lot. And we're running like sled pull stuff at 240 MPA. Uh, in the last two seasons, we've had like failures of none. Like they leave here. So a stock Bosch injector for a 5.9 Cummins um, the return value on it acceptable, like brand new is like 55, 60 cc's of fluid. These things will deliver like 25 to 30, uh, cc's of fluid return. And like Derek Rose's injectors, he's got this, uh, aftermarket ECU. So basically we have to build him a, a full map with a, an MM cubed per cell so we've got X amount of pressure, X amount of microseconds, X amount of pressure, X amount of microseconds. So it kind of looks like a multiplication chart, you know, the old like 12 by 12 kind of a thing. Sure. And it takes hours to run that because every time you hit go, it goes through a purge cycle and it runs for like 20 seconds under purge. And then it starts beating on the injector, at, you know, wherever you've got it. So it takes about two, it's like a 16 hour shift 
to build one of those cells per that, that style of injector. Uh, with Derek's stuff, we gave him all the numbers. They plugged it in, Milliken tuned it. And, you know, Bob's your uncle. The thing's been working really good ever since. So they know how many mm cubed exactly. It's not a guess. It's pumping at X amount of pressure and X amount of microseconds. So with Derek's stuff, you know, he's, uh, I want to say he's like 220 or 225 MPA. And uh, he's down around 900 to 970 microseconds for what he's been pumping. And that puts, what's impressive about Derek's truck is the fact that he went to the drag strip first. And if you do 41 pounds of vehicle, 4,100 pounds vehicle weight, 171 miles an hour, and then you punk, plug in the ET, the, the math calculates to 3,229 horsepower. So that's where I think like, I don't really care what you say, you know, like a chassis dyno at 1500 horsepower is pretty accurate. 2000, it might be kind of accurate. 2500, probably not so accurate. And anything over that, like, I don't think it's accurate at all. Um, you know, and, and to Firepunk's credit, they built a Sigma pump motor years ago, went to the UCC with it, and it floundered. It did not do near what it was supposed to do. That thing was going to, I think they said it made like 3500 on the engine dyno. And Mark Massey was the guy that helped them. And I trust Mark Massey quite well. So I was sitting next to him when that thing was on the chassis down and he's just like, <laughs> but you know, there's only so much power that your rear tires can hold That's and it. anything over that, like, it's just a waste of time. So am I proud of what is going on in Derek's injectors? Absolutely. Is it an accomplishment? Yes. Will it set the bar higher? I don't know about that, but what I know that it will do is it's going to make a 2000 horsepower recipe really reliable, 2,500 horsepower, really reliable. So we've already got the math at 3000 and, you know, then it went to a hub dyno, which uh, it, it was on a dynocom dynamometer. And I don't know if you saw the videos, but they're out there. And the thing was in like, I think it was less than 30 horsepower off of what the track ET calculated to. So, I mean, eh that's pretty rowdy. Like that's pretty, <laughs> that's just such good data, you know? And so I'm, we, we ordered a dyno calm, dyno calm dyno, uh, probably four or five, six months ago. And they just wrapped it up like two days ago. So that should be shipping to us within the next week or so. And I've built a building out of my new shop and the dyno is going to go in there and all the gas testing equipment is going to go in there, air fuel ratio and all that stuff. So we can start testing for like EO and carb stuff. Man, that walks us into my next question about about where where does the future of this look like? Because it sounds like we're really pushing that top upper echelon of diesel performance. Right. Where hey, if you have a dedicated race truck, you, you know we're all praying the RPM Act gets passed and gets enforced. We're like, hey, dedicated race trucks will be real. Um, that's a great, but like, what where am I? Street trucks. Where am I? Yeah, yeah, where am I? Who's driving on the street every day? Am I going to be able to modify my injectors down the road? Am I going to be able to chase horsepower? if I have emissions equipment. Now, obviously Chris and I are here at Duramax Tuner. Yep. We live and breathe emissions equipped performance. That's just what it is. Um, what do you think that looks like? I, how big of an injector do you think would have a potential of getting an EO number? So, you know, if we, if we think back to like say 1969, 1968, like the big block Corvette 427, you know, less than 500 horsepower, like 435 horsepower, I think. Now, that thing would have got like six, seven, eight miles to the gallon, and it would have been rich and stinky and cold-blooded and miserable to drive. But yet people went out and they drag raced them and they, you know, they did all this racing stuff, right? So the aftermarket guys from day number one, like from the time that they manufactured the second automobile on the planet, somebody's been trying to race them. <laughs> it's true. Like I'm I'm not kidding you. Like they make one car, who cares? They make two and it's now, you know, it's a flexing competition, right? <laughs> so with racing on the diesel pickup side, like how does 300 or 3000 horsepower correlate to helping the daily driven street trucks? I can tell you it's a direct correlation yep. because all the technology that we've learned on pressure and things like that. If I put a set of 90 horsepower injectors in uh, 325 horsepower Cummins, they're now going to be a sack they're now going to be a six hole because I've tested those things and they work really good. And they just, 
we can jam up the pressure to 225 MPA. We can decrease the injector on time. So they actually smoke less than stock and they run cooler than stock because cylinder pressure is happening faster than stock. And because of those seals and because of those nozzles, the, you know, you've had a nozzle in your hand before, right? And then there's a needle valve inside that nozzle. There is a sweet spot for the clearance from the needle valve to the nozzle. And that's something that we've been working with the guy that manufactures my blanks on measuring that in Micron to get it to where we like it. And now that we have it there, it's very much moved. It's moved our needle of quality because now with that thing, that's just one question mark we don't have to ask ourselves anymore. And uh, matter of fact, I had some nozzles made by another guy and then the needle to nozzle clearance was just, it was all over the board. Uh, so I sent my nozzles to the guy that is doing my stuff now. He had to go in there and ID grind all of them. And then we had to manufacture like several hundred needle valves special for these. And then we got them with, within the clearance that we want. And that nozzle that's in Derek's truck, uh, five, six years ago, Dustin Jackson and a bunch of those guys that were, you know, starting to go fast, the exact same nozzle, just different needle valves. And they were bucking and snorting and they were doing stupid stuff back then that we couldn't really control. Uh, the returns back then were like a hundred. And we thought, well, that's just what it is. If you want that many MMs cubed, you have to have that. So the racing stuff pushes all of the quality apart for even the stock emission stuff. And I guess your question was how big of a nozzle can we put on an emissions friendly vehicle? Uh, I don't think that that's actually my stuff. I had a 2019 Ram 2500 or a 3,500 with an eyes and tranny and the nozzle was maybe seven or 8% larger, but a bunch of the internal work done to the injector was different. And that thing picked up like 80 horsepower. I drove it for 80,000 miles never had any DPF or EGR issues. It just worked. So I think that it's not necessarily, you know, you guys mentioned uh, percentage over percentage over. I hate that's the worst term ever. It's the second worst term. The, the first worst is like when somebody calls and goes, I got a five by 12. I got a five by 18. <laughs> I, I hate that. But secondly is percentage over because percentage over was like, if you manufacture something that doesn't work for somebody and it doesn't work, they call you and they go, Hey, these things aren't working right for me. Hey man, you ordered hundred percent. such a got, it was just, it was an easy way to escape like real responsibility. And I would rather be responsible for the part. So like when you look up, like in our catalog, it says it's this many percentage over, we recommend it with this turbo. It's going to support this much power, blah, blah, blah. Because I really want people to use educated knowledge to choose the right part for their application, not just order something based off percent. Right. Well, and I mean, us in the aftermarket, we've dealt with that. Like, um, there's no secret, you know, dynamite diesel, 100% overs or 60% overs. I've dealt with a couple guys. Well, DDP 60% are going to be someone else's 100%, right? They're going to flow more. They have this ability. So when you have a guy, you know, we extra GS and S, whichever that injector brand is, that percentage over isn't equal across the board. It's not an industry standard no. as far as that goes. And it does create a lot of uh, end user animosity and, and issues because, confusion, you right? know, oh, I have this injector and you said you could tune this injector at this percentage, but it's not, again, created equally to say, well, this injector's percent over is the same as this injector percent over. So that's where education does need to come in where, okay, this company's X percent injector is capable of X horsepower. And like you're saying, you're just trying to educate that, that, that customer altogether and saying, hey, my 100% is good for this type of power. This is what we recommend for turbo. This is the application. Yeah. Is there any better? Because LPM is another one that I've heard some of the other smaller shops uh, touting is, is, oh, X amount of LPM. Is that a better nomenclature? Is that a, a more understandable measurement tool for end consumers? It's only, so liters per minute is, uh, it's basically a $400 gauge from Gilmont. It's called the AccuCal and they come in different sizes. So we got that because an old cat that I knew a long time ago was using that like in the late 80s early 90s like he was using that thing and i saw it and i was like that's a pretty cool idea so we started using it i know industrials got the same gauge i'm not sure whoever else but 
and a lot of people have poked fun at it because it was it was cheap and it looks like it wouldn't work but i will i will say that over the years if i tell you to climb 14 rungs up a ladder every single time you get to the exact same feet off the ground right so when i say it's 37 liters of air per minute i'm only measuring the nozzle flow rate but every single time it's the exact same flow rate so if you bring in me in a set of eight nozzles and they're off by three liters of air per minute, I can balance them out. You can take them home and I guarantee they're going to run smoother than they used to. Was it the uh, answer? In a way, I kind of say yes, because when we had our abrasive flow machine, you know, made, they asked us how we wanted to read that. And I said, I wanted to read it in liters per minute. So I sent one of my Gilmont AccuCals out and uh, sent them the regulator, told them, you know, set it to this many pounds of air pressure going in the backside. And I sent them a half dozen, maybe 12 nozzles that had, uh, that we flowed here in this shop. That way they could fine tune the air pressure from their, from their air source. And once they got my 40 LPM to read 40 LPM there, and they went to the 50 and they got it to read 50 there. Once they got all that done, it took them four hours to create the scaling and my, my AFM machine, which measures nozzle flow rate while it's, while it's honing, it actually is, uh, it's exactly correct with our airflow meter now. That's awesome. It's pretty cool. It is wicked awesome because (laughs) the dude that, so back when I bought my extrude hone machine, they were like, Hey man, you need to buy a flow meter. It's $200,000, 500 bucks. And I got a flow meter. You know, 20 years later, we walk in with a $500 flow meter and the same company, the president walked in and he goes, Hey, that's what the hell is that thing right there? That's kind of, that's kind of janky looking. And the dude that wrote our software is like, but it works. The guy's like, you're shitting me. No, it works very accurately. Now, the only thing that's super cool about the AFM is with the old like LPM, you got this air and it's pushing on this ball. So it's never, you get it like a factory nozzle is going to be within three liters of air per minute on our flow meter. So if we took 20 of them, we measured them all, they would all be within three. Um, This, the, the AccuCal stuff, if you set them all to 66 liters per minute, you've got it pretty damn close, but the new AFM machine, you can, you can actually run that and it's not critical for old stuff, but it's going to be critical for new stuff. If you want it to be like 10.25 LPM, it'll stop at 10.25 every time. So it's got this digital line and it just keeps going, going. So let's say it starts at six and then you watch this line and you're seeing this as it, as it's increasing the flow rate. And if you set it to 10.25 or 10.30 or, or 10.5 or whatever, it'll stop exactly there every time. That's awesome. That's another level of accuracy, right? right I mean, that's as you're really getting into the car compliance in. EO stuff, I mean, that's going to be huge. So the, the later style stuff, every nozzle, like horsepower has gone up. If you take a, a power stroke from 20 years ago, they came out with 235 horsepower. Now they come out with like 450, right? Yeah. But the nozzle flow rate is now like 14, 15 liters of air per minute. Back then it was like damn near 30. So higher, higher, higher pressure. to get the quantity in faster and they're breaking it up in smaller holes and the atomization is much, much, much better. So emissions cleaner, horsepower is up due to pressure. That being said, moving nozzles to make a hundred horsepower doesn't take very many, you don't have to move the nozzle flow rate very much at all. There's a lot more internal body work on a power stroke than there is uh, nozzle work, to be honest. So I've made 1100 and, 1100 just shy of 1200 horsepower on a factory nozzle with a power stroke wow yeah and it tunes like awesome it drives like awesome but you basically would stretch it out to like 2500 microseconds to get 1100 horsepower out of it and that was it that's all that nozzle had capacity to flow you could crank it up 3000 it didn't the nozzle was just too small at that point to do anything more than like 11 i want to say it was like 1170 or 1180 
Now, I have a question for you, just because you brought that up. When I, I watched the video where you were building one of the injectors for uh, D-Rose when that motor was on Fleece's engine dyno over at Freedom, and you were talking about wanting to maintain that injection pulse width down to around 1,000 microseconds, right? Now, in the aftermarket, Let's say you take a stock injector, stock 6.7 Cummins, and you know the factory uh, microsecond on that is like what, 1400, something like that, let's just rough numbers. And in tuning, you know, you'll know you turn that stock injector up to 1800, 2000, 2200 microseconds, right? And in the tuning world, that's very common. What is the strategy around taking an injector like that and wanting to keep it at 1,000 microseconds or lower? Is it the nozzle size and the amount of volume that's going to be capable of flowing through? What's the theory there for that? So basically, if you picture a clock with a second hand on it, at, uh, at 1,000 engine RPM, there's, you've got a broad window of time before the next injection event happens, right? Yes, so if you wanted to inject fuel um, at a very slow engine RPM, you've got a, a broad window, meaning your timing, your advanced, you could go really far advanced without like, you know, detriment to the motor. But if you pick up the engine speed to 6,000 revolutions per minute, the, the clock runs out of time with the injection event if you try and run stock injection event. So let's just say that you left it at 1800 microseconds for like a, a Cummins 5, uh, Cummins 5.9 yeah. at 6,000 RPM, you'd probably be high forties to maybe 50 degrees of advance yeah. to stop the injection event with like a 90, 10 split 90% in at TDC, 10% after 10% after TDC, you'd probably be really close to 50 degrees advance cylinder pressure would be retarded <laughs> because you're shooting fuel in as that piston's still heading up for so long. Now, to get rid of cylinder pressure, you want to get rid of the advance. The only way you can do that is shorten up the duration of injector on time. So with, and I'm not going to say that's proprietary, but theoretically, if you've got 900 microseconds of injector on time at 6,000 RPM, you don't need to be nowhere near 50 degrees of advance. You can be a lot shallower than that. You can be back down to factory or maybe even less than factory advance and still be making the power without the cylinder pressure because the injector on time is such a short duration. That's so cool. That's not something yeah. that, that like That's, usually we get into, you wanna, right? Is, you want to break that down, right? Because you yeah. see a lot of these guys that are getting into the tuning side of things, right? And we see this all the time where, oh, my buddy's tuning the truck, and you'll see a 100% <laughs> over injector, and they're running, you know, 3,000 microseconds through it. Like, no, please, please, <laughs> please don't stop. do that stuff. Stop. So you see that as these injectors are becoming bigger and this horsepower, you know, uh, kind of threshold is advancing, like... You know, like you mentioned earlier, 3,000 horsepower, you're going to be able to back into all these different power recipes where in this world, if the truck is making over 1,500 horsepower, uh, 1,500, 1,800, 2,000, it just it is what it is. You're not going to be able to build a recipe to say, hey, this is going to make 1,900 horsepower. Right. Where now, with all this technology, you're going to be able to back into that. But a lot of that comes into, again, the tuning with the proper selection of parts and understanding how they work. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, speaking of recipes and getting them to work, uh, we're talking about UCC, man. We're just a few days away here. Um, you got a few guys out there. What are your predictions? Who do you think's coming out on top? Give us a, give us a top three. I mean, I would like to say that everything from Dynamite, but that <laughs> event is, uh, it's like going to the UFC. And if they had, you know, like all the heavyweights, like 20 of them lined up, depending on which heavyweight, like you may have the number one champ and, and the number 20th contender, but if the 20th contender gets a good shot off and hurts the champ, the champ's not worth a shit for the rest of his fights. Right? So the U the, the UCC is kind of the UFC heavyweight division and everybody's got a puncher's chance. So I kind of feel like predicting that event, like Derek Rose has always been super consistent and he's always been very, that's how much of work. Like he works hard. He, I, he, he's just, and that event, you've got to be ready to work all night long to make tomorrow. Um, you know, the first few UFCs or UCCs that we went to, they were fun because we were in bed by 10 and we'd already had our steak and we were good to go for the next morning. And then the last time we went, we killed tranny after tranny after tranny and I hated it. And then we killed a motor and I hated it. 
and we were up till two, three, four in the morning working on the stuff. Um, that's not fun. Like you, it's, it's definitely like a young man's sport. So, I mean, Derek's, Derek's program is dialed in. He's got the data that he needs. He's got the programs and the tuning, everything's set up. So I think he's got a good solid chance. Uh, Firepunk is never to be, uh, never to be forgotten. Like those guys, they work really hard and they've always got good stuff. So I think that their stuff's always going to be, you know, top contenders. Um, you know, our truck, uh, Josh McCormick's got our truck. <clears throat> it's a brand new recipe. Like he's got his motor in it, his tranny in it. And the first time he's ever going to run that down a strip is going to be here in a couple of days. So we'll see how he does. Um, he's definitely a hard worker and he's definitely got a lot of ambition. And he also made, he made pretty good power a week ago on the dyno, yeah. 21, 2200 horsepower. I mean, that's nothing to sneeze at. Yep. No, it's, it's definitely, and that was with his, uh, like that was a brand new motor and that was what we're going to call his break-in setup basically. So, you know, he's basically got a great big set of injectors going in it and he should, he should have plenty of fuel. So truthfully, I mean, it's just, uh, Josh will do, Josh will do better in a year than he does this year. Even if he wins this year, I'm still going to say that Josh does better next year than he did this year because that truck to him, I mean, hell, I, I met him in Colorado and handed him that truck four weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, you know, he's done a lot in a very short amount of time and I got nothing but respect for him for that because he's been busting his tail to try and get it there. So him and uh, you know, he's at, uh, I, I would say that him and David Petrick, those guys have been, you know, killing themselves to try and get, and I think they're taking two trucks to the event which that seems insane to me on top of starting a business too right like <laughs> just all, all the things they're jam packing together like i'm just like because they wanted to buy the truck and i was like man you need to start a company like you don't need to spend the money just take it and at the end of this year we'll talk about you know whether i want to sell it or not but you know uh donovan harris and i we spent our budget was 200 grand a year on that stupid truck and people want to buy the truck and i'm like you can't like it to me i would rather put the thing in a glass box go out and set my beer bottles on it and then just talk about the old memories yeah. <laughs> it, it, it makes no sense to me to sell it at this point like there's been way too many fu's and way too many way too many good and bad memories for that truck to go away so i'm not really like willing to let it go but uh you know i hope that josh does awesome with it for sure Absolutely. Good yeah. stuff, man. I think this is going to be a really, really tough year at UCC. I do yeah. think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, guys, if you haven't already gotten your tickets, go get your tickets. What are you doing? UCC's next week. Yeah, literally a week away. Uh, we'll week be there. Chris and I will both yeah. be at the show. Uh, so we'll be walking around annoying people like Lenny and Josh and everybody else with our microphones, <laughs> trying to get them to talk to you a little bit. Uh, before we let you go here, who do you want to give a shout out to, Lenny? I just want to give a shout out to everybody here with my crew. I want to give a shout out to everybody that's going to the UCC, like not just people from DDP's camp, but anybody who's going to the UCC, like my hat's off to you, I respect it because I know what you've done and uh, I don't admire you because I think you're crazy, but uh, man, I sure love the ambition that it goes into that event. And uh, you know, my crew here in the shop, like everybody that's in this building, it's the best team I've ever had. And it's pretty amazing to work with such a group of people because, you know, I come in early, and I, I, I don't mind coming in on weekends to try and make sure they've got stuff to do on Monday morning. But seven to four, these people crush it for me and do an amazing job at uh, doing what we're doing. And, and I'm just the next few months when we get the new dyno set up, we got all the data logger set up for all the acquisition and start doing gas testing. Um, that stuff isn't possible without people here busting out parts the way they are. So, yeah, man, I just I, I thank God for my crew every day because they're just amazing people. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I think you're a wealth of knowledge. I think this is a great episode. Uh, guys, stick around. We got a little bit more Diesel Performance Podcast coming at you. Hey, guys. Uh, it's Jeremy from the Diesel Performance Podcast. Uh, this week, I want to bring you a 13 LML that I'm going to be doing some, some diagnosis on. Um, it has a 420 catalyst code in it and I just kind of want to give you guys a run through of what I'm going to be looking for. With this truck here 
it being a 13, it's still, you know, within that couple of first couple of year early LML truck. So it has a full EGR, full DPF, full catalyst. So this truck here, first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna look at EGTs and my freeze frame data. Freeze frame data is gonna be key to any diagnosing of DTCs uh, in the ECM. So I wanna look at my EGTs and I wanna see what the EGTs were doing at the time that it threw the code. And I wanna look at the ninth injector. I wanna look at the ninth injector at the uh, current status and see what the ninth injector is doing now to see if that's gonna affect my EGTs or affect what the catalyst is doing. Um, this is gonna be a little bit fun one because it's an actually an intermittent code. Sometimes it's gonna work, sometimes it's not gonna work. Data is gonna be key. And when I mean data, it's you gotta look at every single number on it and crunch it and then see if I can get it to act up, uh, if it's gonna be hot or cold. So those are the key things that I'm gonna be looking for on this LML behind me and I'll let you know how it goes. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Uh, this has been Paul Wilson. And Chris Emke. Make sure to like and subscribe and we'll talk to you again soon. So long before anybody ever gets here, like I, my cardio is already good and I'm done and moving on with the rest of the day.